Hello and welcome to Suds, the new weekly podcast from Startup Daily TV on Ausbiz, where each week we pick the absolute highlights from the more than 20 guests we have on the show. I'm Simon Thompson, editor of StartupDaily.net, and you must be... Elliot Hasty. Simon, what a week. We've had geopolitics, we've had floods, we've had a viral boring RBA, but I'm just thinking of things right now. <laughs> well, you know, look, as long as the RBA stays boring, I think most homeowners are happy with that. Of course, if you are a homeowner up around the Lismore region, Brisbane, sort of Western Sydney at the moment, around the Hawkesbury and Pian, we are thinking of you because it's been a pretty tough week across the board. But of course, Elliot, as devastating as natural disaster is, it's probably even harder if you happen to be living in Ukraine right now. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's just devastating. But I guess from from where we can come at it from is looking at crypto, which has just been going insane when you think about, obviously, the SWIFT payments uh, denying Russian transfers, but crypto is not exactly playing ball. No, and this is something that caught my eye because the first thing that came to my mind when I saw that the likes of Binance and Coinbase were saying, no, nah, we're not going to join these boycotts of Russia was social licence. And, you know, that's a pretty important thing when you operate a global business in a range of jurisdictions. And we're in a fascinating space right now when you've got the likes of Switzerland no longer being Switzerland and coming out on the side of Ukraine, along with Finland, countries that have traditionally not got engaged on this sort of geopolitical bun fight. I was going to say something a bit stronger there. Um, you know, You've got the cryptocurrency guys going, nah, look, we're libertarian, we're all above this. Well, the other word for that is amoral because I think there are some pretty big issues going on in this space right now. And when you have basically the West response as being a financial boycott, if you leave a door open for people to rush through, guess what happens? They're, they're going to do it. I, I guess though it is, it is interesting and I can certainly see the philosophical debate around it. You know, crypto was started to be decentralized it was started to be without, without borders without a country but of course you know that's crypto the, the the back end and i guess these companies are forward facing so there is a bit of a philosophical debate going there that would be quite interesting to sort of see how it all plays out but the other interesting thing and i think it shows that you know there are plenty of people with crypto doing great things is ukraine has received 40 million dollars uh, in crypto donations and that you know that's of now it could be up to 10 million uh, 10 million more um by tomorrow and they're going to do um what what they call an airdrop of all of these crypto coins out out to people up to 30 dollars um so we're talking about sending an RAAF Hercules over the top of Kiev and sort of pushing all the coin out the back that's that's honestly when I first read I was like airdrop I don't think that works with digital assets but it really just means, you know, El Salvador did it to adopt crypto um, more broadly and Ukraine's doing the same thing with its donations so it can get to sort of the people that, that need it. So explain to this sort of fax machine kind of guy, Elliot, what an airdrop is. So an airdrop is, is literally just, you know, you've got a big pool of money and you just drop little bits into people's wallets. That's how, that's how I've certainly read it. Um, so it is all digital. There's no giant Hercules um, chopper going going across i mixed those so, two uh, fights up didn't i <laughs> yeah well you know it depends on where you're putting the propeller on it in that instance but so it's a little bit like airdrop on your iphone in terms of if i want to send you a picture i could send you cryptocurrency or whatever absolutely um and you know i had a chat you know with with some crypto people around and they said it's really interesting it could be the next case study 
of where crypto goes, but it is all digital, um, which leads into a very interesting conversation, Simon, that you had on the show. Yeah, look, given what has been happening with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, of course, we saw the week preceding all of the military uh, action that Russia was basically hacking, creating cyber attacks on Ukraine. There was those initial ones that were taking down infrastructure and services. Then after that, they started to wipe data. So we spoke to Paul Haskin Dowland from Edith Cowan University about what was going on, because we've also seen the Australian Cybersecurity Centre come out and tell organisations and businesses to be on higher alert. There is a sense across the West that we could be collateral damage in this war and when it comes to cyber attacks. And, you know, you, you did ask him about what, what are the big threats um, with Russia as, as it goes forward. So just have a listen to what he said. Obviously, one of the big threats that we worry about is the reciprocal actions uh, or indeed the, um, the, the consequential damage that us in Australia and those around the world may face as a result of a movement into cyber warfare. So over the last few years, the last couple of decades, we've seen cyber warfare becoming more of a, a viable option but has predominantly been in the sort of area of the cyber criminals. So it's the kind of activities that will be generating money rather than used for warfare. And this is really one of the, the biggest and most uh, significant conflicts that has actually tried to use cyber as a valid weapon of war. And we're beginning to see the, um, the, the consequences of that damage and obviously the attacks against the financial systems, the ATMs, uh, directly in uh, in Ukraine, and now we're seeing a reciprocal level of activity from Anonymous, which is beginning to target activities within Russia, and inevitably that's going to spill out across the physical borders in the virtual world. So that's Paul Haskell Dowland from Edith Cowan. He deals with this sort of stuff on a daily basis, and it was fascinating his comments around. This is the first time that cyber warfare basically has been a viable option, he called it, when it comes to a military assault. And for Russia, it sees it as a valid weapon of war. And then, of course, you've got the contrasting part with Anonymous stepping in and these guys basically fighting on the Ukraine side like a guerrilla crew. Ukraine was actually also calling out for cyber attackers to join their side um, to take down Russian sites with DDoS attacks. I think my favourite thing about the Anonymous, though, does have to be what they did to the electrical charges and I believe some road signs as well where they hacked into it, stopped them working, but more importantly, left some graffiti behind saying Putin is a dickhead. Well, isn't it great that, you know, you've still got a Bart Simpson in you when you even when you are sort of some of the smartest cyber hackers in the world. But when it when it comes to home, Simon, what did what sort of advice did Paul give about how businesses, you know, can protect themselves from, you know, these situations? Well, I did ask him about that, Elliot, and it's a little bit more than just sort of putting a few exclamation marks in your passwords. Here's what he had to say about what businesses need to think about. Most organisations, the starting point is actually getting a very good feel for what your infrastructure looks like uh, right now and the kind of exposure that you're facing to uh, Russian or Ukraine interests because many organisations will have connections to those countries either directly through commercial relationships or indirectly through the supply chain and looking at the exposure that you might be facing to those particular organisations across the borders but also just making sure that all of your infrastructure and systems is patched and up to date. A lot of these attacks rely upon vulnerabilities that are well known and that are easily fixed. 
So making sure that you're applying those patches to everything, not just your desktops and laptops, but all your mobile devices and any of the infrastructure in your organization. So what I've taken away from that is that I probably shouldn't have the same password for everything. Well, Elliot, I quite like the fact that you have ABC123 because, of course, every time I need to get into your computer, I can remember your password. Now, of course, with cybersecurity comes people that need to be doing, you know, tech jobs, which NAB is looking for 1,500 of them. Isn't that amazing? A big four bank, which of course has been embracing digital banking and neobanks. Think about the acquisition of 86400 last year. It's gone on a major recruitment drive looking for 500 interns and it's looking to fill 1,500 tech roles in 2022. I think one of the things, and there was a report about it, um, you know, in, in The Australian about their retention might be a little bit more difficult because that seems to be where they're failing, 86400 and the merger with Ubank does seem to be losing people. But, you know, when you're hunting for 1,500, 500 of those, you know, are interns, I think NAB's going to be, you know, just fine. And we did talk to Jade from the company about what their plans were, um, and here's what she said. We're bringing on board and retaining at least 60% of them. And so now the conversation and what we're really working towards is how do we create that longevity? How do we create that career progression? And we have a really fantastic way in terms of strategically making sure that there are other opportunities that they can uh, progress into throughout NAV and across our businesses. Um, We try not to keep anything silo. We have a lot of integration and ways that we interact with other teams and learn about other areas. Our learning and development uh, platforms and tooling, our NAB Cloud Yield, our, our data hub, you know, there's all different ways that people can continue to be on their own learning journey and transition into different roles if they're interested in that as well and we're, we're here to support those opportunities. So that's a pretty cool job title. Jane Warriner is the NAB's Manager of Technology Careers. Elliot, who knew you could be that specific? But really interesting conversation you had with her about that and just the bank's career paths and opportunities. And you kind of see that there is quite a diverse thing going on, even in an old, let's say, crusty institution like NAB. And I can say that because I bank with them, um, to see the innovations that they are really striving for. How you keep people? Well, you know, I don't know. You reckon they're paying the hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars a year that I read for sort of basic entry level tech jobs in one report in Australia this week? If they are, Simon, I think we need to wrap this up and go next door to NAB. Yeah, <laughs> I'm filling out my CV as we have this chat. Now, you know, speaking um, of money, Folklore Ventures um, was out this week with the inaugural State of Australian Startup Funding Report, looking at over. 800 founders and startup investors. Yeah, look, if you think about how much activity we see and every week there is more going on in the space than we could possibly physically cover, uh, either on the show or on startupdaily.net. But, you know, when you look at all of the investment or all the big rounds that are happening, all the seed rounds and pre-seed, everything... What happened was Alistair Coleman, who is founder and partner at Folklore, wanted to get his head around the actual big picture. There's a few people who have been trying this. I think of Tech Board over in WA, who we've spoken to along the way. But what they did was they partnered up with Cut Through Venture, which is the new company who's also trying to collate this information, to put together this state of funding report. And there were some really fascinating numbers in it. One of them was, of course, that investment in 2021 hit $10 billion, a 300% jump on the previous year. But what Alistair said 
was that even then, not all the VCs reported, so that figure is even higher than $10 billion. So we spoke to him about it, and he said, you know, this is no longer a fragile industry. We're kind of stepped up, and he painted the picture of where funding went in 2021. Here's his comments. So we had uh, just an explosion over the last couple of years of investment in startups in Australia, and as the report says, it's now $10 billion, and we, we were looking last year at trying to understand how the ecosystem was playing out and what investments were being made. And in discussing that with Chris at Cutthroat Venture, we realised that uh, quite a lot of money is being invested, but we don't really have a data resource and uh, no investors or LPs really have a clear, concise insight into what's actually happening. So we decided to produce the uh, State of Australian uh, Startup Funding Report. And, you know, it's, it's really been quite amazing to see the, the, the information that's come out of the funds that have contributed. You know, we're, we're at the moment at around $10 billion of total invested capital last year in, in 2021. Uh, now, that's actually probably on the downside uh, because uh, some VCs in Australia didn't contribute to this report and they will contribute to the next report. So, so it's at least $10 billion. I think that that's amazing. Um, seed stage funding has uh, doubled. Um, Series A funding has grown by 50%. We've seen a huge influx of offshore investors and offshore VCs coming into Australia to invest in our later stage companies. And the real underpinning of this is, is that this is not a fragile industry. This is an industry that has created a significant amount of value. It's very, very good investors. Um, and we've had uh, 849 respondents to this report. So it's a comprehensive report and a comprehensive data set to start indicating that the Australian ecosystem is extremely healthy. And, you know, from his comments, the startup ecosystem is very healthy and it seems some areas are beginning getting a little bit better than others. So fintech used to be the hot item. Of course, we discussed 86400 earlier. We obviously have a burgeoning BNPL sector um, and a whole range of fintech debates, but maybe it's maybe it's had its moment. Well, of course, we've got a consolidating BNPL sector with <laughs> Zip announcing its takeover of Sezzle this week. But the interesting part was fintechs will add about 25% of the capital they recorded last year, so $2.5 billion. They spoke to investors about what they're excited about in 2022. And guess what the winner was, Elliot? I'm going to put my money on crypto. No, it's in there and Web3, they are interested. But the hottest one is climate tech. So I shouldn't say hottest, but certainly investors are really interested in this space. So here's what Alistair said about how he thinks it's starting to pan out in 2022. Australians have been extremely good at building B2B and enterprise-grade software. Um, That's where 95% of the value has come from over the last 20 years. And so the areas and sectors that that capital goes into uh, will move around and, and the expectation is that climate tech and, and sustainability-based technology uh, will start to get a significant amount of investment over time. FinTech's been very strong. Uh, that might pull back uh, this year. Uh, we know that uh, that uh, data network effects and data generally is becoming more important to business decision-making, so expect that to also increase. And then, um, you know, the one thing that, that didn't get called out was, was that Web3 and crypto Whilst, uh, whilst it's going through a bear period, I think we'll also come back and, and the use cases around that will start to develop. So the beauty of this report is that we'll be able to look, um, you know, in, in March next year, we'll be able to look back at what was predicted this year and, and we'll have some real data about where that capital went and then onwards we'll be able to make those assessments about, um, about how investors are investing and what, what sectors are actually growing. 
I think we're just going to keep keep seeing more and more climate tech build out. And of course, we did have those conversations throughout the week because climate tech is always raising capital, one of which was Trace. It raised 1.5 million. I actually spoke to the founders on, on Friday. So Trace is quite an interesting company, Simon. Yeah, we've been following their journey since they emerged out of Antler a year or so ago. So it's a carbon tracking software startup. And that EnviroTech thing is a really big thing. Everyone's trying to get their head around sort of how, what's my carbon footprint like? How big is it? How do I tackle the problem? How do I take responsibility? Well, Catherine Long and Joanna Auburn, who put this together, two female founders, Built Trace have been trying to solve this. So we spoke to them on the show, you did, Elliot, about what's going on and the sort of companies that they're helping out. We spoke more and more about the data that they collect because obviously there is a fair bit of data in order, in order to help people track their carbon. I asked her, you know, about your customer base, what's happening, what are you finding out, and here's what she had to say. The kind of most common uh, industries that we that we help are professional services, creative agencies and technology companies. So typically around the 100 FTE mark, although we do service a bit of a range. Um, so, you know, those those companies, their footprint generally comes from their people and their office space. Not surprisingly, travel has really dropped off in the last 12 months uh, for obvious reasons, which some people might believe means that most companies have had an overall reduction in their carbon emissions. But interestingly, I'd say we're seeing a kind of net flat impact as a a result of remote working. So specifically, employees working from home is seen to be less uh, less efficient from an energy standpoint. You know, you've got um, 100 staff each having their lights on, the air conditioning on, um, and, you know, creating their own waste at home. So um, we're trying to help educate customers on what they can be doing as they transition back to, you know, probably a hybrid, but slightly more in the office model uh, about what they can do to empower their staff to reduce their personal footprint too. And I think the thing that got me really intrigued was At the beginning of the pandemic, we heard all these stories about emissions were going down, people weren't in cars. But as Catherine says, you've now got an entire workforce split out amongst multiple homes because of the hybrid model. And that's actually, you know, that's 50 light bulbs on, that's 50 microwaves going, you know, rather than just one in an office. Yeah, it's kind of like we've all gone to be free-range chickens now rather than sort of being in the office battery factory. And, And it's kind of, when you think about it like that, it's such a fascinating mind shift. But I do love what Trace is doing in terms of just giving people an idea of their carbon footprint as individuals and then the actions that they can take in tackling the problem. And I think we're just going to keep seeing more and more data come out with them in more ways that we can tackle the problem. So really impressive female founders there in time for International Women's Day, Simon. Yep, coming up on Tuesday. Looking forward to it because we're going to have some great guests on Startup Daily at 2pm on Tuesday, focusing on women in tech, women in startups and female founders. So there's going to be some great conversations. But we also had a great conversation this week with Sally Sassy, who you may remember with her twin sister formed Style Runner 10 years ago. They're back with a new business called Her Black Book. It's just raised $1.6 million in seed funding. Um, The interesting part is they've got the backing of the guy who runs Andrew Forrest family investment firm, Tatarang, as well as his Mindaroo Foundation, Andrew Hagger, the CEO. And the other backer is the ASX-listed Touch Ventures, which, of course, spun out of Afterpay. And you can see the link because we're talking retail, shopping, Afterpay, BNPL, all of that sort of stuff. But 
really loved the story of the two twins coming back together after a year, a decade since they started Style Runner. How did it come together? The interesting thing is they two bring two very different skill sets together. Really, I came at it from a consumer perspective. So I was a female who loved to shop online, who would often remember that I would get deals coming into my inbox through EDMs or whether it was, you know, a notice that I'd seen on socials. But when it came to actually needing them, I really struggled and felt frustrated with even being able to find them um, with ease. And so, you know, that for me was a light bulb moment. I was like, why isn't there an app um, that does this, you know, and curates it and makes it, you know, even with notifications and makes it really simple to use. So from there, I approached Julie and I, you know, flagged the idea with her. She actually looked at it from a retailer side. So Julie at the time was still at Style Runner. Um, and for her, she looked at it and thought, you know what, I'm struggling from a retailer perspective to be able to partner with a brand that is more on brand for me in terms of DNA. Um, and so for her, she definitely saw an opportunity in that um, gap in the market from the brand side. And so with that, we just, as we do, <laughs> as, we've not, as we're known for, just decided, you know what, let's make this happen. And very quickly, we're able to press go on the project. Isn't it amazing when you hear about the energy of founders, especially when they're having their second crack? Because, of course, Style Runner went into voluntary administration back in 2019. It sold to another business who's turned it into a success. Um, Julie went off and she was doing her own thing. Sally had left the business a few years earlier. And here they are back together again. And so I wanted to talk to her about sort of the issues that they tackled along the way, because there are a whole bunch of them. And, and you know, you do things differently the second time around, whether it's your company or it's your kids or whatever. She had some really interesting comments around the lessons from Style Runner, the tackling the funding problem, but things like overwork and mental health. Um, and I couldn't help but ask her about what it's like to work with your twin. We've always been twins, but polar opposite twins. So it's been really great with the yin and yang to each other. Um, and for us, you know, I think going back in Style Runner days, it was a lot more challenging. We hadn't spent any time together in over a decade because she lived overseas. And then we ended up living together, driving to work together, working together, and it was all consuming. Um, and it was around that stigma when, you know, being an entrepreneur a decade ago was all about working around the cl clock, you know, working yourself to the bone, don't worry about mental health, just work, work, work. Decade later, things have absolutely changed, which is a great thing to see globally, where people are finding the balance between working smarter, not um, not harder, and ensuring that they get those mental health checks and being able to, you know, produ produce really great quality work, but within a really healthy environment. So I actually think this time around, even learning the lessons we learned with Style Runner, you know, it wasn't a fairy tale ending for us. Um, we've been very open and transparent about the fact that that vision and that idea was was incredible. Um, but unfortunately, back then we couldn't get the funding. So you know, Accent Group's obviously taken it on board, and um, and they've been able to bring the vision to life, which I think proves the. Um, the mindset that Julie and I had and the vision and the capabilities. Um, but now we're turning that into a black books, her black books opportunity to actually do the same, not just here in Australia, but globally. I certainly could not imagine working um, with a twin, but you know, it seems to have worked out very well for her because they do bring those different, different forces to it. You know, they're great 
example of female founders. And of course, with International Women's Day coming up, Simon, you, you know, you did discuss it, particularly because, you know, they've done two businesses, they've done plenty of raises and all that. They have an interesting perspective. Well, one of the things that she said about the investment that she got from Touch and from Andrew is, of course, it was a great validation for female founders. And as, as we said, with IWD coming up, I asked if there'd been a shift in venture capital looking more closely and carefully at women-led startups. She had some really interesting comments. So listen to this. Definitely has been a shift. Um, is it where it needs to be? No, um, that's definitely not the case. And I think it's quite transparent um, out in the news world. <laughs> so even if female founders are getting backed, we, um, you know, the, the numbers are, are quite minimal in compared to some of the ma um, male founded businesses. Um, so there's definitely still a lot of work to be done. The great thing for us is, you know, building Her Black Book has also allowed Julian and I to use it as a platform to become advocates for female-founded businesses. Um, and the fact that we have been backed so early by incredible um, investors is, you know, a run on the board for, for women in business. And, of course, you can catch more of this content on International Women's Day on our show 2pm. On Tuesday, it will be a really uh, good one, Simon. Uh, absolutely. And Elliot, I always regard you as my startup daily show twin, you know, in terms of what we do, what we need to get done, how we think on the same page, almost identical on occasion. Absolutely, but we do bring opposing ages to the project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, bought a few years apart as twins. Um, now, Elliot, uh, it's going to be a pretty exciting week ahead. As we said, we will be celebrating International Women's Day with female founders and investors on Tuesday at 2pm on the show. But most importantly, in what has been a pretty horrific week, especially if you lived in Lismore, up in Brisbane, Western Sydney right now is being hit by these torrential rains with Warragamba Dam overflowing. People have lost their houses, people have lost their lives. So I am thinking of those. I used to live up in Lismore, so I know that community well. I love that place. And to see it underwater this week has been really heartbreaking. It's been absolutely devastating. You know, of course, I'm from Brisbane, um, so I've been watching all of the devastation up there. Fortunately, it all seems to have resided from now, um, but certainly it's it's just crazy to watch. And I would say, if you can spare a dollar, go and have a look. You know, probably not the um, Defence Minister's GoFundMe campaign, but there are some others around that are worth contributing to. And, of course, the Red Cross always does an amazing job with disaster relief. So hop on, see what you can do. Now, Elliot, more importantly, in between in the disasters of this week and International Women's Day, the big thing this weekend, and I'm hoping the skies are blue the sparkles are glittering and everyone is cheering. It's Mardi Gras weekend here in Sydney. The SCG is going to go off like a frog in a sock. It's going to be incredible. And you know what? At this point, I'll just settle for clear skies. It doesn't need to be blue. They can be grey. Just no rain. We have amazing things planned. I, of course, am marching with my rugby team, the Sydney Convicts. Um, so look out for us if you do watch the parade, if you are at this sold-out event. Oh, wow. Again, isn't that fantastic? You know, I've spent plenty of time on Oxford Street during the parades, which were always fantastic. But I actually like the order that having it at the SCG creates and the opportunity to see it because it's a little bit like being at a car race you know everyone goes whiz past and that's it and of course the next one comes along this way you really get to see it over and over it's going to be a little bit easier as a dancer as well rather than dancing for two kilometers you just have a 30 second slot so it's a lot less taxing than the thousand calories i burn and it's a good way to get excited, to show the world what we can do ahead of World Pride, which will be in Sydney this time next year. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to that too. Elliot, you have the most 
fantastic weekend. I'll be checking out your dance moves. I won't be there, but I will look at it on TV. So you enjoy yourself. Happy Mardi Gras, mate. And we'll catch you at Monday, 2 p.m. on the Startup Daily Show. Don't forget, you can also watch, or you can also read. You can watch it and read it. You can do everything with Startup Daily. And there is the podcast, which comes out every Friday morning. Tell your friends about it, share it. We'll catch you next Friday, Elliot. Bye for now. Bye, my twin. Bye.